This morning we're in Genesis 31, Genesis 31. And as you have found your way there, let me just put in a plug about our remove and replace. This last week was removing television. Now, how many, well, we won't read. How many, I did that. What a great week. I'm telling you, it's one of the best weeks we've had. Teresa and I talked about last night, just the conversation, the quietness of the home, no television. Uh, uh, John Piper years ago wrote in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says that watching too much television leads to banality. It makes you banal. That means brain dead, okay? Banal, okay? But I got to think about what a, how refreshing to go into the house and it's quiet and the TV's not on and you're not distracted. This week, though, is the toughie, right? No caffeine, no coffee, no tea. I mean, McDonald's is going to shut down this week because I'm not going to buy the 71 cent senior coffee on my way to work every morning. Uh, but it's going to be great. But here's the thing about removing. Every time, as Kobe said, we're, we're taking up an offering. But in any type of fast, when you feel the urge to drink that coffee, what do you do? You pray. When you feel urged to have that glass of sweet tea, help me, mama. You know, and you can't have it this week. You pray. So anytime you're removing something from your life, it, you're fasting, it reminds you that this Whatever, this activity, this substance does not control my life, but God does. And I'm going to give this up for God's glory. And it's not to beat yourself up. It's not to put on a show, but it's simply to prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday. So I hope that you will join in that uh, with us this week. It's going to be a great week. Genesis 31. Now, you've got to stay with me this morning, okay? This is, we're going to try to, we're going to be in three different chapters going all over the place. We're going to skip some things, come back to some things, and I just hope it works out okay. Okay? Just hang in there with me, okay? But we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 31 at verse 17. Genesis chapter 31, verse 17. Last week we talked about Jacob who's ready to go home. He's ready to go home. Here we see this beginning to take place. Chapter 31, verse 17. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. Laban's gone away, so Jacob's going to slip out. Rachel goes in and steals his household idols while Laban's gone. And Jacob, verse 20, deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen, all of his brothers, his kind of his entourage with him, and he pursued Jacob a distance of seven days journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, about your ever, your presence with us, Father, your purpose for our life. Lord, help us to understand, even though we face challenges from our past and the future, that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. God, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we know that Jacob is going back to his home country. And the last thing he heard his brother say, brother Esau said, when father dies, after the morning is over, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Remember that? That's in chapter 27. 
So Jacob is going back home to face his offended brother. Now he's slipped away and he's got his father-in-law pursuing him. I remember a night when I was a junior in high school. Now, some of you are amazed that I can remember that long, that I was actually a junior in high school. I went, I lived in Evergreen, went to school in Monroeville. And one Sunday, I went to Monroeville and went to church with some of my friends. We went to church that night, and after church, we went over to a friend's house. And we were all sitting around on the front porch just carrying on conversation. Now, by the way, it was the summertime, and I was a junior. And I was working, had a summer job working at a hog farm. And we started every morning at 6.30 in the morning washing hog pens, 6.30 in the morning. So anyway, this Sunday night, we're sitting around talking to some friends, and time just gets away. Next thing I know, the, the mother of the home comes to the door and says, Keith, your dad's on the phone. This is before cell phones. But my dad had driven from Evergreen to Monroeville, 30-something miles, looking for me. And he called this home to see if I was there. Sure enough, I was there. When I got on the phone with my dad, I could tell he was highly irritated, very upset. He said, I'm going to be waiting for you at the service station across from Hardy's. I'll be there. You better get there. And so I jumped in my 1970 Ford Pinto and drove off to meet my angry dad. As I'm pulling down the street before I know where he's going to be meeting me, I notice something in my rearview mirror. Blue lights. So here it's well after midnight. I've stayed too long. My dad is mad and I've got the police chasing me. When I pulled into that parking lot, I didn't know where to go first. To the officer or to my father. I think that's a little bit what Jacob felt like. But let me tell you the rest of the story. The policeman was so tickled he didn't give me a ticket. I think both he and my dad got a kick out of the whole situation. And all my dad ever said to me was, you're going to be on time for work in the morning. And I was. But I was between what we used to say in South Alabama, a rock and a hard place. Have you ever been there? The police on one side, my dad on the other, and I didn't know what to do. Here's Jacob. He's running away from his offended father-in-law. He knows he's being pursued by Laban and his entourage. And he's headed toward Esau, whose last words were, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Not, life was not good. Life was not good. But see, Jacob is determined to have a fresh start. It's time to move on. Let's look first at a person's past can be very difficult to escape. A person's past can be very difficult to escape. Let's look at a little bit about Jacob's past. Begin in the passage again, chapter 31, verse 24. God came to Laban the Aramean, in a dream of the night. Laban is pursuing Jacob. And he said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban, Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs and timbrel and with the lyre and did not allow me to kiss my own sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? 
Then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Let's stop right there. Here we have a situation where Laban has pursued Jacob and he's caught up with him. Jacob is doing his best to get out of a situation that was not the best to say the least. It was a bad situation. He'd been there seven years serving Laban as a shepherd for Rachel, he thought. He was deceived by Laban, so he served another seven years to get Rachel, and he ended up with Leah and Rachel. You remember the story. Now he served six more years as his wages, and God has blessed him with a lot of sheep and goats and herds, so he leaves there a wealthy man, okay? But life, while it's particularly the last six years in Jacob's life, has been tough. I, I, I want to share with you what John White said. John White has written a great book called uh, The Fight. But he says, Jacob's life could hardly be a happy one. He worked like a slave. The constant rivalries of his wives forced him into behavior that was more like that of a male prostitute than a contented husband. The working arrangement he had with Laban must have been a source of constant anxiety. He and Laban were both doing their best to outwit the other. He could hardly have enjoyed peace of mind. In fact, it is plain that as time passed by, that he grew afraid for his own life. So fear was a big part of of Jacob's existence. Notice that there in verse 31. But why did you you leave? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. And so Jacob wants to get out of this environment of fear and anxiety. Jacob wants a fresh start. Laban was a source of fear in Jacob's life. He lived under constant danger. Far away as he could from that. His past included fear. Jacob's past was one filled with deception. Verse 20, And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. Now, if you're familiar with this story at all, you know that this was not the first instance of deception. Where where have we seen deception in Jacob's life? From the very beginning. (laughs) He came out holding on to to Esau's heel. Jacob means a supplanter. He lived a life of deception. He deceived his father. He deceived his older brother. When he got to Haran, or Haran, it just depends on where you put the emphasis on which syllable, but he'd been living there for 20 years, And the whole time, Laban had deceived him with his wife, you know, Rachel and Leah. And now Jacob deceives Laban again by sneaking out while Laban has gone away to shear his his sheep. A A life of deception. To top it all off, Rachel goes in and steals the family gods. And now this is interesting. They're called teraphim. And they were very valuable. As a matter of fact, they were like idols, but they were little, we don't know exactly what they looked like. They could have been large or small, but they were a symbol of a family's inheritance. In other words, they were passed on from generation to generation. The only thing I could come up with would be like your grandma's fine china. You know, it's been passed from family to family. Your mother had it. You know, and so it's been in the family for a while, but they were called idols and we don't know all that about that. But what Rachel did is she stole Leah's inheritance. They were supposed to be passed to the oldest sister. Rachel goes in and steals it. So deception and lies 
I call it standard operating procedure in this family. Lying and deceiving. What a mess. What's even funny, when Laban catches up, Laban is the offended father-in-law, when he catches up with Jacob, notice what he says in verse 25. Verse 26, why, what have you done deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me that I might have sent you away? I, I would have sent you away with joy, with songs, with timbrel, and with a lyre. Laban said, if you'd have told me you wanted to go, which you'd already done, I'd have thrown a big party. I would have had celebration for you when you left. I could just see Jacob looking at Leah And both of them rolling their eyes. Yeah, right. Deception. Lies. That's the kind of life that Jacob was wanting to get away from. Jacob wants to get away from this man of his habit of lying and deceiving. Now, Jacob was no... By no means an innocent person. We know that even in chapter 32, he comes up with this scheme to try to appease his older brother Esau. But Jacob was confronted with fear. Jacob was confronted with deception and lies. Jacob even had to deal with verbal abuse. And you know where I'm going with this because there are a lot of folks who live in these same situations even today. The verbal abuse, when Laban catches up with Jacob, notice verse 29. It is in my power to do you harm. Laban says to Jacob when he catches up, I could beat you up. I could beat you up. But God spoke to me. Your God, the God of your father spoke to me and said, don't say anything good or bad. In other words, don't try to change him with flattery and don't try to change his mind with verbal abuse or threats. Don't say anything good or bad. But Laban had to get in this one jab anyway. I could have beat you up. How many times do you think Laban had said that to Jacob in 20 years? I ought to take you out behind the barn. I ought to wear you out. That's just the way Laban operated. I could have done you harm. Folks, that's, to me, verbal abuse. Look at, he belittles him in verse 30. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. What's Laban saying to Jacob? You're homesick, aren't you? You wimpy little mama's boy. That's where you're going. You're going back to your mama. You left because you longed for your, I mean, do you hear this sarcasm? Do you hear this in a sense? You say, well, that's not really verbal abuse, but Laban has a sharp tongue. Laban has the ability to cut to the quick. Laban knows just what buttons to push with Jacob. And you know, there are a lot of folks who live under the same circumstances today. There are a lot of parents who say cutting things to their children. There are a lot of people who say just the words, you know, have power and that we know how to hurt other people with our sharp tongue. And that's what Laban was doing to Jacob. Let me tell you, parents, your words can build your children up or your words can destroy your children. And that's really true for anybody that we have a relationship with. That's what Laban was doing to Jacob. This was what he was trying to get away from. This is why Jacob needed a fresh start. Jacob was also confronted by Laban's false accusations. Look at verse 26. What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? You kidnapped my daughters. You took them away. You kidnapped them. You took them away from me. Verse 28, you have seriously wronged me by not letting me say goodbye to my grandchildren, my sons and my daughters, he says there. 
Then look at verse 43 at the end of the chapter. Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters and the children are my children and the flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine. What's Laban saying? You're a thief, Jacob. You're a low life thief. You've stolen from me. All of this negativity reinforces Jacob's desire for a fresh start. And let me just say this morning, many, there are a lot of folks here who've grown up in an atmosphere of fear and anxiety. You were afraid of your dad. You were afraid of your parents. There was fear and anxiety where you grew up. You may be living in an environment just like that right now. And you're thinking, how can I overcome this fear and anxiety? How can I get out of it? Some of you may have lived or you're currently living in an environment that's filled with lying and deception. I mean, it was just standard operating procedure in your home. Lies and deception. Always trying to outwit, always trying to uh, hide something from your parents or your parents hiding something from each other or hiding things from you. And it's not a pleasant place to live, is it? Lies and deception, fear. Some people are still living and suffering from harsh words spoken to you by a parent or a spouse or some other loved one. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. How many times have people heard that? Parents have said that in fits of anger to children who just absorb that and take that in and they're crushed by words spoken in anger. Maybe you feel like this morning you need a fresh start. You may still feel the condemnation of accusation after accusation about your actions or your character. Let me tell you, it's difficult to get away from these things. It's difficult to have a fresh start. What can we do? Well, what makes it even more difficult, like Laban, oftentimes our past pursues us. We can't get away from it, we think. Well, let me just say a couple of things. Number one, if you're a parent, you need to change the environment of your home. You need to make it a place where children are encouraged, where words of encouragement are spoken, you know, where kids can know that I go home and be loved and accepted. You know, that's one thing we always communicate to our children. It doesn't matter what happens out there, but when you come home, we will love you. We'll love you the most and we'll never stop. And we want to speak words of encouragement to our children. Parents, that's what we need to be doing. Grandparents, that's what we need to be doing. They may not always remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Do they feel loved? Do they feel accepted? Do they feel like home is a place of safety? Is it a haven? It should be. And the church should be the same way, should it not? This should be the most welcoming environment on University Boulevard. This should be a place where we, we ban the negative talk. We ban the cutting. We ban all the uh, criticism and harassment and verbal abuse. And we make it an environment where people are loved and accepted and encouraged by one another. How can we change let me tell you this morning, you know, there may not be many here, but I got a feeling there are one or two who sitting here and say, you know, that's, that's my house. You just described my home life. What do I do? There's one who offers us a fresh start. Isaiah 43, 18, the Lord says, do not call to mind the former things 
or ponder things of the past. In other words, don't think about the past. Don't dwell on the past. Behold, I will do something new. I will do something new. If that's you this morning, the environment you're in, the home life, the relationship, the marriage, your family, look to the Lord. God says, I will do something new. Don't dwell on the past. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. God says, look to me. How's he going to do that? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. See, here's the secret. God changes our environment by changing our heart. You get that? God changes our environment by changing our heart. We are new creatures in Christ when we come to faith in Christ. We can say goodbye. Now, we can't undo our past. You can't unscramble scrambled eggs. But you can forgive and forget and move on from your past. Jesus said in John 3, 3, you must be born again. That's exactly what we're talking about, a fresh start. Escaping our past. We can't undo our past, but we can live in freedom, forgiveness, and joy today. How do we do that? Again, by God's grace. As the Lord changes us, He sets us free from our past and its misery. The Lord Himself becomes our strength. He is our peace. He is our source of comfort. We find our significance in Him rather than those folks around us. He offers us a new life in Christ. We can experience the freedom of forgiveness as we are forgiven and then as we forgive others. You know, as I was putting all this together, the Lord led me in so many directions, but it keeps coming back to one thing. You know, we've all had people in our life who've harmed us. We've all had a Laban in our life. How do we handle the Labans in our life? There's only one way. You forgive them. You forgive them. God will forgive us as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. It all gets back to forgiveness. And I've said many times, the hardest thing God asks us to do is to forgive. But your past will continue to pursue you until you experience forgiveness. And your past will continue to pursue you until you forgive. That's the only way we can put the past behind us and move on with a fresh start. If you're having a difficult time escaping your past, turn to the Lord. Rely on His grace, and He will enable you to do what you can't do by yourself. So Jacob is leaving his past. While Jacob's past had pursued him, his future was also looking pretty bleak. Turn over to chapter 32, verse 3. As Jacob is getting closer to home, then Jacob sent messengers. Now, we've skipped a lot. You see that. And we're going to come back to some of that in just a minute. But now, as Laban has caught up with Jacob, they have this conversation. They establish a covenant. We'll look at that in just a minute. Now, Jacob turns his attention toward Gilead, the new land, the land of Canaan, to where his brother lives. So Jacob, verse 3, sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. 
The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Between a rock and a hard place. Jacob sends these messengers to his brother to say, I'm coming with a lot of presents. By the way, that was Jacob's plan to try to appease his offended brother. I'm going to give you gifts. Hope that'll work. But the servants come back and said, Esau's on his way. And he's coming with 400 men. And I don't think these guys are coming to help you unpack. Esau's coming this way. So what do we see? Jacob was looking into fear itself. A person's future can be very frightening to face. And I want to just bring a couple things out of this text that I think, again, help us understand where we are. But some of us are facing some pretty frightening days ahead, or so we think. Jacob was looking at some very frightening facts. What are the facts? Like Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. Well, the facts are these. The last thing Jacob heard his brother say, Genesis 27, he said, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's what Esau said. And all that Jacob knew was this is what he was coming with 400 men to do. He understands now the facts that Esau's on his way to meet him. He's got 400 men. And unless God intervenes, there's going to be a massacre. That's all that Jacob. This Esau and 400 men coming to meet him. And it's not going to be pretty. Life is not good. Jacob was looking at certain disaster. Everything he knew pointed in that direction. So he was afraid because of the facts. Jacob's fear also comes from his responsibilities. Things have changed a lot. You remember when Jacob left, he went into Haran or Haran with a staff only. That's all he owned. All he had was a stick. Now he's coming back, not only with flocks, but he's got women and children that he's responsible for. Look at verse 7 and 8. He divides his family and herds into two groups. His thought was that maybe one of them would survive the attack. Verse 11. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with him. He was responsible for their lives. It was no matter just no longer just a matter between Esau and Jacob. But he's got women and children under his care now. Added responsibilities increase our anxiety. You know, I've, I've told many people, if I wasn't married, I'd be sleeping under a bridge somewhere. I mean, you know, Teresa, I've got a wife. I had children. You know, responsibilities. It changed my life, thankfully, for the better. But Jacob realizes, hey, it's not just me anymore. I'm, I'm responsible for my wives, my children, all these people. Added responsibilities increase our anxiety. But his future was also filled with many uncertainties. This is often the greatest source of fear, the what ifs, the what ifs. Jacob knew his brother was angry. He knew he was coming with 400 men. But what was going to happen? He really couldn't be certain. He knew what he had done to Esau, but he wasn't sure what Esau was going to do to him. Now, let me just say this about this fear that Jacob experienced. It was brought on by his own sin. 
Jacob had offended Esau by deceiving him. And now he was going to reap the consequences. Now, don't leave here this morning saying that all fear is a result of sin. It's not. There are legitimate fears and fears that come from other sources. But this is what Jacob was experiencing. You know, I know what I did to Esau. What's he going to do to me? What's he going to do to me? Do you know the first time that fear is mentioned in the Bible, it was a result of sin. Adam and Eve had sinned against God and they were hiding in the garden. God came looking for them and they were hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they were afraid. They were afraid. See, many times sin brings fear and fear comes into our life to change our attitudes as a result of sin. But again, there are other things that bring fear into our life. But this is what Jacob, Jacob's fear was a fear of retaliation by his brother because of what he had done. Jacob's future was frightening. Can you relate this morning? Some of us are facing fears that come from very real people, very real situations. These are the facts, ma'am. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's very real fear. Maybe you've experienced fear because you have responsibility for a wife and children. You're not sure what you're going to do. Maybe you're a single mom here this morning and your greatest fear is for what's going to happen to my children. Maybe you're an adult my age and your greatest source of fear is what's going to happen to my parents. Now I've been their responsibility all of my life. Now they are my responsibility. What am I going to do to care for my parents? Where's the money going to come from? How are we going to handle this? Church, believe it or not, there are a lot of sources of fear when we look to the future. Jacob had a lot of uncertainties in his life. How do we handle those fears? Well, it may sound like what a preacher ought to say, but this is what we ought to do. We ought to trust the Lord. We need to learn to trust the Lord. Relying on His promises. Relying on His provision. But most of all, listen to me, relying on His presence with us. And we'll see that. That was, the, that was the lifeline in Jacob's experience that God was with him. And we'll see that in just a minute. But what, is the, what does the scripture say to us? Psalm 53, 6, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Isaiah 43, 1, fear not for I have, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. My favorite is Psalm 119, 165. Those who love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Why? Because we can trust the promises of God. The psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. That's right. Church, that's where we are. Thou art with me. God's presence in our life. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Now, the fear is going to come. I, mean, I can't stand here and say we need to be super spiritual, spiritual and never be afraid. It's going to come, but what do we do with it? We give it to the Lord. The uncertainties of life, the facts, what we know is going to happen. We give it to the Lord. We trust in the Lord. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. As Jacob faces his fears, he does two things. One is good and one is not so good. The thing that he does is not so good, and we're not going to read all of this, but in chapter 32, look at that, verse 13 through 23, Jacob comes up with a plan. The plan is, I'm going to buy my brother off. I'm going to send him some goats. 
I'm going to send him some sheep. I'm going to send him some donkeys. And by the time I get there, he's going to be so happy. He will love me. (laughs) That's his plan. His plan doesn't work. It was not his plan that changed Esau's heart. One thing Jacob does, not so good, the plan, the thing that he does that's really good is Jacob prays. Look at verse 9 of chapter 32. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham. Anytime a prayer starts with, O God, you know it's sincere. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. You remember when, when in Genesis 28, God promised Jacob three things. He said, I'll give you this land. I will bless your descendants and I will always be with you. Now, which of those three things you think was most important to Jacob right now? The land, the blessings, or God's presence? God's presence. Amen. He says, you will always be with me. Return. You said to me, return to your father, to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Jacob says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness, of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I cross this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the land of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So Jacob prays. I believe this was his first sincere prayer. Genesis 28, when Kobe preached to us about the ladder, he concluded that experience with these words. Jacob says to God, let me see, if, oh, he says here, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey, that if I take that I, the journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and ret- and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. You see that? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that, kind of a bargaining deal? If God takes care of me, then he will be my God. What's different about this prayer in chapter 32, 9 through 12? There are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Deliver me, O God. I'm afraid of my brother. And church, this is the key to Jacob's delivery. And we're going to just skip ahead. Chapter 33, verse 11. Excuse me. No, verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And this army of men that Esau brings with him to attack, this army becomes an escort. Esau says, let me escort you, Jacob, into the promised land. We will protect you. We'll make sure nothing bad happens to you. And Jacob says, y'all go ahead. We're all right. We're just fine. We'll come on. It'll it'll push the, the women and children and livestock too much. So this army becomes an escort because Jacob prayed. Jacob prayed. And the promise that meant the most to Jacob right now is that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God's presence. This is what we see here. God's presence. Our Father's presence gives us the power to move forward. Jacob knew that God was with him. God was with him. 
We saw last week where Jacob and Laban both recognized God's blessing on the flocks and the herds and everything. But let me, let me point out quickly two instances in our passage today of God's protective presence. 3124, Laban is on his way. I told you we're going to skip around. Laban is on his way to pursue Jacob, to attack. God speaks to Laban. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in the dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, what struck me here, church, listen to me. In the next chapter, Jacob is pleading with God, God, deliver me from my brother. In the previous chapter, God, listen to me, God is delivering Jacob from Laban and Jacob doesn't even know there's a threat. Do you see that? God appeared to Laban and said, don't you harm that boy. Don't you harm that boy. How many times do you think God has delivered us and we don't even know about it? How many times do you think God has intervened and we never had a clue? Too many to count, I would venture. This is how kind our God is. God's presence was with Jacob and he intervened for him when he didn't even know that he was in danger. Then the second Instance we see here, look at chapter 32, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named that place Maha Naim, which means a place of two camps. What's happening here? Laban has been sent back home, Jacob is going in to face Esau. And as he's going in, he runs into this army of God, the angels of God. That's what scripture says. Why would God do that? God's telling Jacob, Esau may have an army of 400, but you've got the army of God on your side. You've got the angels of God on your side. And so again, God is encouraging, he's comforting, he's affirming Jacob by saying, I am with you. I am with you. Jacob went on his way. Mahanaim, which means two camps. He was joined by another. He would not be alone. God's presence gave him the power to move forward. Esau's army becomes an escort. So again, where are we? With God's presence and relying on his grace, we can escape the condemnation of our past. With God's presence and his grace, we can escape the condemnation of our past and we can face the fears of our future. We don't have to do this and we cannot do this alone, only by his grace. Let me just begin to close by asking, have you come to the end of your rope? Maybe it's from things from your past that you can't escape. Maybe it's a future that's frightening. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forevermore. I love what E.V. Hill, the great black preacher says, God said that because he is the God of yesterday, he is the God of today, and he is the God of tomorrow. There's nothing in our past that he can't handle. There's nothing that's going to happen to us today that he can't handle. And there's nothing in our future that he doesn't already know about that's taken care of. He is the God of yesterday, today, and the past. Be encouraged. Quickly, let's look at a couple of shadows we don't want to miss. What's a shadow? Hebrews says that the Old Testament shattered things in the New Testament. There are two things here I want to point out in this passage that are just so rich. The first is in chapter 31, 
when Jacob is talking to Laban. And he says, I've been a shepherd for 20 years. Listen to the job description of a shepherd. He said, that which was torn of beasts, I did not, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or by night. Thus I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. Like, folks, that's the life of a shepherd. Jacob said, that's the way I lived. Listen to the words of Paul. Paul says, I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul's describing the job description of an under-shepherd, those who care for the flock. Let me tell you, Jesus did all that and more. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What What Jacob did for Laban, Jesus does for us and more so. He gave his life for us. And in chapter 31, verse 43, we skipped that part from 43 to 55. Laban and Jacob have a covenant there. They have a covenant. Laban initiates it, said, let's make peace. It's a peace covenant. Look at verse 52. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So he was making peace. In all his cockiness, Laban was afraid of Jacob, that Jacob's going to come back one day and wear him out. So he said, let's make a covenant of peace. And how do they seal that covenant? Verse 54, then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. How do we have peace with God? A sacrifice. There's only one way, church, and that's through a sacrifice. God sent his son so that we might have peace with him. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. This morning we come to remember his sacrificial death, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed so that we could have peace with God. Do you have peace with God. You know that the, you've been forgiven of your past. Your past may pursue you, but in Christ we're new creatures. Do you have peace with God? Dealing with our past. Looking about the, to the future. Here's the question. Do you have the peace of God? Do you know as a believer that God has your life under control? Have you surrendered every area of your life to him, to his loving care, the peace of God? Father, thank you for your word this morning.